It's clear as I've researched his life that his organization agreed with him. He should go back. He wasn't just being a daredevil. He resolved to go back with his family. And a month later, two men came to his house. They were welcomed according to custom. He gave the visitors a, a fruit drink in high summer and they chatted and didn't get around to the reason for their visit. And he thought maybe they're going to stick me for a loan, you know, because people often asked him for money. Mm -hmm. And one of them asked him for some Christian literature. Roger, in his upstairs room there in the center of Tehuk, turned around, reached for some Christian literature and Salim pulled out a gun and shot him. Hi guys, welcome back to Raw Mission. Many of us come from gospel-saturated countries, with churches and followers of Jesus in huge numbers and the Bible easily available. But the places our guests have chosen to live and serve in are quite the opposite, and there's often great resistance, suffering and danger for them to face. From time to time, I like to invite guests onto the show who aren't from Frontiers. There are so many wonderful mission agencies out there who share our passion for the lost, for Muslims and for gospel-deprived peoples. We want to learn from them too and to hear some of their stories. I'm Matt, your host, and today I'll be talking with Jay, who spent many years living in northern Iraq, working amongst the Kurdish people there. We discuss the history of the region, the origins of the Kurdish people and references to them in scripture, the advance of ISIS, and an early pioneer missionary to the Kurds in the 1920s who was martyred. Well, it's a real privilege for me to have Jay joining me in the studio today. Hi, Jay. Thanks very much for having me, Matt. Yeah, I mean, we haven't known each other for very long, but we've got some mutual friends in common, don't we, in, in the UK uh, and actually in the USA. But I'd love to hear about your story and your background as today we focus in on uh, the Kurds. Well, we moved as a family to Kurdistan in 2010, lived there for 11 years. Mm. And uh, yeah, I grew up in South Wiltshire and find myself now living with my family in Oxford, eagerly using opportunities to serve the Kurdish diaspora from a UK base. Mm, brilliant. So what what led you to move your whole family to go and live in that region in the Middle East? Well, um, my wife actually was quite set on going to Afghanistan, Pakistan, and oh. I calmed her down and persuaded her to, to choose the easy option <laughs> of heading to Kurdistan. <laughs> I recall thinking about how there was a lot more Christian activity in Oxford mm. back, back in the late 90s, um, than there was in the whole of Greater Kurdistan. And that was a real wow. impetus to me to think, how can I use the gifts that I've got to serve people really in need of hearing the good news of Jesus? Mm, that's interesting. Even a couple of weeks ago when I was in Oxford, I met a, a church leader who's been doing some research. And he said that currently there are more than 80 fellowships or churches in Oxford. And some of them are actually diaspora, which is great. You yes. know, some Latino churches and so on, some little fellowships. Yeah. It did strike me and I thought, so many churches in, in one city in the UK, and that would be replicated across this country, and yet how few in so many places around the world. Yeah. You know, cities that you know in Kurdistan that would barely have a church if, if a believer. Yeah. So, yeah, I remember having a sense of those to whom much is given, much will be demanded. And, mm. you know, blessed by an education that was very, very strong on languages, you know, even studying Latin and Greek uh, and French at uh, uh, school from quite a young age, which at the time, of course, we, we you know, chafed and said, what, you know, what's the use of this? But yeah. in God's providence, you know, I can see that that kind of um, way of thinking about languages and, and um, ancient history and things yes. is really important. That's something we've got in common then. Yeah, I think my listeners won't know that I'm also a classicist originally and uh, yeah, studied Latin and Greek at university and philosophy and ancient history. So I didn't realize we had that in common. Yeah. How did it carry on from there then? You, your wife was thinking about South Asia or Southwest Asia. Yeah. You were thinking more about Kurdistan. And 
What, by this point, did you have any kids? Or we were getting to know each other and began to talk about marriage, and so um, we, yeah, we were able to come to a common mind to to really commit ourselves to serving the Kurdish people. And then we met Kurds in the UK, and so we're able to um, just learn, understand their culture and, and language a bit better um, mm. here. And you can sort of make some mistakes in the UK before you actually head out, but visiting their relatives is a great way to begin that journey of seeing them in their homeland. So that's a, that's a very good first step rather than sort of going in blind as it were you know you actually connect with the people locally. yeah that's useful if yeah if you're in a big city and you you've got folks from the countries of the world you're interested in around you then why not make friends here start that process yeah so i suppose we should back up because we shouldn't take for granted that people know what kurdistan is where kurdistan is i mean if you it's not a country so tell us a little bit about this region of the world okay so you know quite a controversial question in some regards um but I, I think it shouldn't be controversial. It's a geographical area um, called Kurdistan, or, or you could call it Greater Kurdistan, which covers it, the area where Kurds live. That, sh that shouldn't be controversial. And that area is spread over in Turkey, Iraq, Syria, and Iran. And then Kurdistan often refers to the autonomous region within Iraq, within northern Iraq. Okay. Yeah. So are you able to say where you guys went and lived? Yeah. So we were living in the city of Tehuk, which is an hour from the Turkish border. And uh, it's quite easy to find in terms of sort of Bible knowledge, Bible atlas. Just look 50 miles north of Nineveh, which oh, was wow. the, the capital of the ancient uh, Assyrian Empire. Yeah. Gosh. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, it, it was probably a decade ago now when I started in this role, I was speaking a lot on the message of Jonah and the book of Jonah oh. because people, of course, grew up with that as a story for kids and so mm. on. But actually, it, it's a powerful story of God calling someone to work in a dangerous location yeah. with for him enemies and dangerous people and that's the region you were yeah called to yeah in a sense. i mean i i one of my favorite days out was to to go as well as paddle boarding on the on the, the lake created on the river tigris the tigris you know known to bible readers yeah um, but also cycling around the assyrian ruins um so the area we drove through a new new well was really the hinterland of assyria um mm. so where king sennacherib got the fresh water for his capital city was from the mountainous area of Kurdistan, wow. and there's still where he split the river in two. There's an amazing uh, engraving on the rock face at uh, Khunas, and then he created a, an aqueduct with two million limestone blocks. Amazing, carried Gee. this fresh water over a valley, mm. and that's you can still see that as you drive from Tehuk to Erbil, called mm. the Jerwan Aqueduct. Okay, yeah, wow. So it's it's a land and an area of, of huge historical importance yeah. and significance um, for the people themselves, um, uh, as well, well as for the world. So there's some great Italian archaeologists that are trying to make this area a UNESCO World Heritage mm. Site, um, the Sennacherib Archaeological Park. If you Google that, you'll find amazing research mm. about this. And actually, it'd be a great um, tent-making activity to develop this. You know, I used to take people cycling with Sennacherib uh, mm -hmm. in these amazing historical sites and great places to go swimming in the river and, and so on. Um, and you can have a barbecue right next to where this aqueduct is and, and mm. see on the stones, if I could read cuneiform, which you probably can't even read either, Matt. No way. <laughs> no. It says on there, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, king of the world. Wow. Um, yeah. you're, just, you're just there, you know, grilling at your kebabs and, and drinking tea next to these ancient stones. Yeah. So, so there are opportunities amazing. there for people who are interested in archaeology and history, yeah. but also tourism. Yeah. So heritage tourism. Yeah. Um, or ecotourism. Ecotourism. Well, it's a mix. That's what's so great about Kurdistan yeah. is it is 
it's fresh and 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 cool compared to other parts of the Middle East, mm. and it has this amazing ancient ancient heritage um, stuff that it is you can just read your Old Testament and mm. and gain sort of insight into the kind of king that Sennacherib was, okay. um, for example. So I mean, we're not going to see the word Kurds in the Old Testament, are we? <laughs> or- That's a very interesting point. And um, the word Kurd actually, uh, where it says that the, the sons of Sennacherib killed him and then. They they fled and and by the way I reckon that they spent their first night in Tehuk after they'd um, killed their father and fled um, because Tehuk is when you go from the plains of Nineveh and you head across in, into the first valley of the Zagros Mountains which is what Kurdistan is basically is the Zagros Mountains okay they quite likely sought refuge somewhere in in Tehuk on that, mm. that just after fleeing and um, before they went into the land of Ararat now in a Syriac translation of the Bible called the Peshitta hmm. that is rendered they went into the land of of the kurds kardo or something okay um, yeah <laughs> uh, and for them if they wanted to say you know how do we best communicate what this land of uh, ararat is they called it the land of the kurds in some mm. ancient form so that that's a, a kind of geeky answer yeah. to the question are there kurds in the bible but i would recommend going to youtube and typing in god's plan for the medes and you will find there uh, a message that i gave which is kind of looking at um the Medes in the Old Testament and, and how God sent the Jews into exile there. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was actually part of God's plan that um, the gospel would be heard by the people of Media and Parthia right. and Elam. Um, yeah. Are we talking the book of Daniel at this point? Or? Uh, well, so... Is it around there? Uh, well, yeah, 2 Kings he, 17. 2 Kings 17 is where yeah. the Jews were, were, were sent into exile and in the cities of the Medes and along the, uh, the Chabur River. Mm. And so we see how... God placed Jewish people who maintained their language and some adherence to the scriptures amongst the Medes. Mm. Um, and, and so they were at the day of Pentecost, okay. which is really striking that you have people from those areas mm. travel probably 30 days to get to Jerusalem. And there they heard the wonders of God in their own language. So yeah. quite likely a, a kind of, I like to say, Kurdish or a sort of proto-Kurdish was likely spoken yeah. in, in the Acts of the Apostles, chapter 2, That's long cool. before the, the gospel reached, you know, the shores of Britain. Yeah. Because Daniel spans Babylonians and Medes and Persians, doesn't he? Uh, does he does, yes. up there yeah. at some point. Yeah, yeah. that's right. Well, Darius the Mede is, is a right. figure um, of great interest to Kurdish people. Okay. Um, hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, interesting. So, all right. So you guys headed out there 2010? Yeah, you that's said, right. Yeah. And, and you lived as a family out there for about 11 years? Yeah, we did, yeah. So okay. it's, yeah. it's where our kids still call home. Yeah. Um, and wow. uh, we lived kind of in a fairly ordinary Kurdish middle-class neighborhood, just lived among people, getting to know them, sharing their joys and sorrows. We lived as a family amongst Kurdish families, and we shared life with them, and we, we mm. had many opportunities to speak about the Lord. I, I worked as a, a language consultant, set, okay. up a, set up my own business there. Um, mm. What does that mean, exactly? Uh, good question. Uh, <laughs> I, uh, I, 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 did, I started off doing English for specific purposes, because I saw that there were structures there uh, that could serve you know, useful educational ends, but they were being hampered by a lack of understanding of English. So in mm. uh, higher education, for example, if the lecturer can have better English, yes. it can be a huge, um, huge knock-on effect for the students. So we, we did a course for, for the staff of a university, mm. taking English classes to them rather than setting up a kind of a center, you come to us, and then right. when we leave, the whole thing shuts down. You know the story? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> um, I think there's big disadvantages of that approach. Yeah. Um, you, you take English and you provide them the English that they need. Um, I did it in an oil company. I took hmm. English lessons to 
uh, car showroom where mm. they were having to repair cars. And so that, that can be a good approach. But I actually got a bit tired of teaching English because people were not really uh, taking it on board very well. And I was real realizing that there was a lack of thinking in your own language. And that as my Kurdish improved, I wanted to help people develop their mother tongue mm. um, and ended up doing a long project, partly because the oil, the oil industry kind of took a big hit um, with just economic problems. Um, and we lost the contract in the oil company and then thought, wow, we could do a project developing an online Kurdish dictionary, as in it was already a good dictionary, uh, a wiki dictionary. And we came on board and we um, made like 45,000 edits to really improve that dictionary. And it's, it's just wow. a brilliant resource for anyone learning northern yeah. Kurdish to oh. use the, the Kurdish wiktionary, which you'll find online. No way. That's a great legacy. Yeah, that's, that's really cool. Yeah, language and historical, saving languages, protecting languages yeah, is so important, definitely. developing them. Yeah, yeah, that's really good. Yeah. Okay, so try and paint a picture for us of what daily life looked like for you in Duhuk then. So um, I had a small office, often cycle off to, uh, to my office and, uh, and work there and try to share some of the homeschooling um, with my wife who mm -hmm. worked, worked hard at, uh, we, we had a mixture of education in the local schools, uh, which was great for our children, but not so much for education, more for getting to know Kurdish families and, and the, the culture, learning to read and write in yeah. Kurdish, where they used the they used a modified Arabic script in mm. uh, Iraqi Kurdistan. So I'd be working uh, on, on the dictionary project. We, we, we set a goal of making every Bible word understandable. So like just work through mm. the New Testament as it was getting completed and then Old Testament drafts. Mm. Um, to try and bring clarity to an understanding of um, sometimes quite complex um, mm -hmm. words like justification or ransom, or yeah. all kinds of stuff. Um, so there was a Kurdish Bible being worked on while you were out there? Well, it depends. Others? So, it, you know, listeners who are not so familiar with the Kurdosphere, um, mm. you've got um, northern, central and southern Kurdish dialects. But that's typically on Kurdish TV, like Rudau Channel, you'll have Kurmanji and Sarani, that's northern and central, are the two main dialects. And so um, they're, they're actually quite different um, linguistically. So, um, so the, the Sarani translation got ahead of um, Kurmanji and they completed the whole Bible um, a few years ago. Hmm. Um, Kurmanji, they're still working on the Old Testament. Um, okay. Badini, which is another sub-dialect of Kurmanji, which, we, which is what we spoke, they're, they're still, yeah, it's quite early stages with drafts mm. of the Old Testament. And did, um, did you find locals there were really interested to talk about faith? And, and what was their Islamic identity like? Their Islamic identity was quite conflicted because um, they tended to be quite loyal to Islam. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, they would sometimes say things like, um, well, in the caliphate of uh, Omar bin Khattu, Kurdistan and Persia was, was conquered by, by the sword. But mm -hmm. that, that was quite an accepted historical reality. Okay. And people felt that that they'd had an Arab religion imposed on them. So you've got three main cities in the uh, Kurdistan region and moving from the east side, Suleymaniyah, then Erbil, then Tehuk. Mm. And uh, Suleymaniyah was the most liberal and then Erbil and Tehuk was getting more conservative, even more conservative in, in Zaho. But in Suleymaniyah, there's quite a, quite a following of, of Zoroastrianism that, okay. that, had, that had come up where people were saying that we just don't want to have an Arab religion. We mm. want to have an authentic Kurdish religion. Mm -hmm. um, and so there was a kind of people actually actively embracing and getting some sort of government backing for a sort of Zoroastrian center yeah. um, and embracing that as a more Kurdish religion. Now, I would dispute that um, and, and would like to point people back to 
Noah, for example, say, was he a Zoroastrian? No, he was the one who worshipped the true and living God, who we know as the God of Abraham. So Mm. I think that's a full step, but it's an interesting um, kind of re-exploring of their history. Yes. And we can't really ignore the fact that Iraq has seen so much trouble in the last couple of decades, you know, with war and fighting and so on. The Kurds that you lived amongst briefly, how do they look back on the last 20 years and their own identity and being Iraqi or being Kurdish and so on? So like a potted history, really important to understand. Okay. When I was younger, a lot of us came across the Kurds up in the snowy mountains. They'd fled from Saddam Hussein hmm. in 1991 after the first Gulf War. And, and the West had tremendous sympathy for them and came in. John Major, the prime minister, declared a safe haven for the Kurds. Hmm. And that then led to this sort of semi-autonomous region where there was a no-fly zone. Saddam couldn't fly his uh, warplanes there. And they developed this de facto state under mm. Kurdish control. And that meant a huge humanitarian effort. And some of the humanitarians were Bible-believing Christians who were able to share the good news, uh, help with Bible translation. Mm. So that was a, a, an era beginning in 1991. And then 2003, a lot of people know America and Britain invaded Iraq. Um, mm. There's still huge bitterness uh, over that. Um, but from a Kurdish perspective, there was really no fighting in the Kurdistan region. Okay. And so many of them were glad that Saddam was removed from power. So there's not necessarily great suspicion or hostility towards the West. Many are thankful and welcoming towards Westerners, although people are very s- suspicious of Western culture. Um, yeah. You know, the, the breakdown of the family, mm-hmm. immodest dress, drunkenness, those things are seen as, you know, perils. And mm-hmm. the, those are the evils that are seen mm-hmm. as very destructive. And I agree that those are yeah. very destructive forces. But in uh, 2014, and we, we were watching all this news when we were living mm-hmm. in Dehuk, and, and ISIS took over Mosul, Iraq's second city. Yeah. And it was it was a very tense time. Um, we weren't sure what was going to happen. Well, sorry, is Mosul in Kurdistan? Mosul is just outside, just outside the Kurdistan region. Okay. Yeah. So they were getting really close. They were getting very close, and mm. and 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 they could have easily taken our city of Tehuk, mm. but there was a an order to to bomb them uh, and and stop their their progress towards Tehuk and Erbil. Okay. Um, and so one of the verses that I think can be just a, a great challenge and a, a very succinct way to introduce the Lord Jesus is to say, "The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy." And haven't you seen that? Mm you know, 50 miles down the road and the havoc wreaked by people who came to steal and kill and destroy. Mm. But I've come that they may have life and have it to the full. Mm-hmm. And that's just a very punchy way to introduce Jesus. And uh, yeah, I mean, I've, I've also done it in terms of Psalm 94, rise up, O God, shine forth and judge the wicked. And, and mm. it talks about slaying the, uh, the fatherless and so on. And, and when I read that with a Yazidi guy, you know, one who'd been you know, attacked by ISIS. And, and he heard me read the psalm in his own language. And he stopped me. He said, that's Dash, as in that's ISIS. Oh, he he yeah. just felt this ancient psalm speaking to mm. him about his contemporary experience. Mm-hmm. So don't be kind of put off by the imprecatory psalms. They, they actually speak very powerfully to people who have yes. seen horrible, horrible mm-hmm. things. Yeah. The, the Kurds have got this tragic history where they were gassed at one point by Saddam Hussein, is that right? right? In yeah. northern Iraq. So they had this kind of slightly, you know, a strong anti-Ba'athist party, anti-Saddam Hussein thing, yes. which maybe overspilled into the historical slightly anti-Arab feeling. Then, very Arab. Anti- okay. Very anti- I don't want to overstate it, but yeah. very anti-Arab feeling. Okay. And then they've also seen Daesh or ISIS 
yeah. very close and upfront. Yeah. You know, and they've seen the the most extreme form of Islam you can possibly see. Yes. And would you say that all of this combined is leading Kurds to, you know, to lean more towards Zoroastrianism or to be open to, to the gospel? I think it's a huge opportunity, Matt. And I think we can help them to rethink, is Islam the truth? Because mm. you can judge a tree by its fruits. And if you see this kind of fruit, mm. it should make you ask, what kind of tree is this? And that's what's happening in Iran. I exactly. Yeah, they've so, seen the hard face yeah, of Islam. They've indeed. been under Islamic regime for such a long time. Yeah. And they're wanting out. Yeah. Really. That's right. Yeah. But I don't think that that makes anyone a follower of Jesus. Because, no. you know, Paul says that we are dead in transgressions and sins. Mm -hmm. We need the Holy Spirit to make us alive. Yeah. That's um, right. But that we can be alert to the doors that God has opened. Yeah. And walk through those doors. So over the years that you spent there, what, what would you say is the picture of the emerging church there? Did you see folks coming to faith or were they mostly sort of interested seekers around you? Well, it, it's good as a point of comparison just, just to think about what the great things God has done amongst Persians, amongst Iranians, mm -hmm. and to say quite clearly there's not been anything like that amongst the Kurds mm -hmm. that, that there has been amongst Iranians. Uh, I would say more Syrian Kurds have been coming to faith mm. in different places, um, certainly in Lebanon, where I, where I visited um, Beirut, and, and there were a number of Kurdish churches, Kurdish-speaking mm. churches there, um, Germany and Turkey in other places. So that, that that's an encouragement, uh, and Syrian Kurds within Iraqi Kurdistan um, mm. as well coming to faith. Um, it, it's been a day of small things, and sadly there's, there's been some real exaggeration of the numbers um, okay. for whatever reason. and. That, I think, is, is very upsetting when, mm. when people feel they have to lie for the sake of the kingdom of God yeah. um, or exaggerate the truth. But we shouldn't be downcast about a day of small things. Mm. You know, I, I saw a number of people come to faith, and that was a joy to nurture them. But we've got to be content if our job is picking up the stones mm -hmm. for the ground to be plowed and then seeds to be sown and then for others to reap the harvest. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but we did see a small harvest. And uh, if you contrast it with, let's say, Egypt or Lebanon, you've, in Egypt and Lebanon, you've got substantial Christian minorities. Mm. And there are difficulties for them to reach out to their Muslim neighbors, but they still have essentially the same language. They're yeah. still Arabs. They're still Arabic speakers, you know? Whereas the historic Christian church in Kurdistan will often speak Neo Aramaic at home. That's their language and not Kurdish. Interesting. So over the centuries, the, the very small church in Kurdistan has sort of found its own culture and language and just got further and further away from Muslim Kurds. Uh, yes, they've sort of retreating in a ghetto mentality with just a recollection of all of the, the horrible things they faced from Muslims. So it's mm -hmm. a real challenge for them to you know, mm -hmm. love their enemy and pray for those who persecute you. Yeah. But in some cases, it's wonderful to see people from mm. a Chaldean or a Syrian background who love their Muslim neighbor and are yeah. eager to explain to them the good news in Kurdish, even though it's not mm -hmm. maybe their native language. Mm. It's the language of the bazaar that they are competent in. Yes. And they actually um, are glad to use the Kurdish scriptures. That, that, that's one of the key, key things, yeah. is that the church has got to be loving, uh, learning the Kurdish language mm. well and, and using it liturgically, using it evangelistically. Mm. Presumably it's a very tiny minority in it, it's Kurdistan. A, it, that and that yeah. is a, a, a minority church. that is dwindling quite rapidly. Yeah. I mean, this is one of our roles, though, as well, isn't it? As, yeah. as workers, whether we're coming from Latin America or Korea or the Philippines or here in the UK, heading to a place like Kurdistan, one of the roles we play, of course, it's to, to be good news bearers 
but also it's to strengthen and encourage, if there is a national church, to actually love and reach out to those who maybe historically have been enemies. You know, that word to Jonah, that's almost our prophetic uh, word to the church if it exists in the country. Yeah, I mean, you can't say enough about the book of Jonah. I've, I've preached on Jonah. Yeah. I love doing a, a one-sermon message on the book of Jonah as a whole, and particularly in chapter 4, just looking at this um, tendency we all have to hate the one that has terrorized um, us. Mm. Like, I just wish they could be damned. Yeah, I don't really want them to be saved, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, a real work of God just changes our heart towards mm. our enemies and, and makes them share God's heart yeah. for the, the city, you know, as it says mm. at the end of Jonah 4. That's right. And, and what a brilliant way to help us pray. As yeah, well. think, think about right now what's yeah. happening in Israel-Palestine. Yeah. You know, how can we pray? Well, we can pray for the Palestinian church. Yeah. Tiny as they are. Sure. In Bethlehem, in Nazareth, yeah. wherever they might be. Yeah. To, to somehow continue to love all those around them, you know, other Palestinians around them who might be Arabs, but yeah. also to, to love the Jewish people. Mm. Um, yeah, huge challenge for people who've experienced such trauma yeah. and brutality. Yeah. But that's a great way for us to pray. Sharing this podcast is a really good way to encourage more people to get involved with God's great mission, whether locally or globally. So please do help us get the word out there. If you use an iPhone, it's pretty easy to write us a review. And that has a big impact on how many people can find us. Alternatively, you could share one of your favorite episodes with a few of your friends. Thanks, guys. And now let's get back to the podcast. So thinking about your life in Dohuk with your family, what were some of the challenges? What were some of the things that just made it a struggle to, to live out there? I'm assuming there are tough things because crossing cultures, living in, in unusual environments uh, is always a challenge. Yeah, I mean, we weren't living in you know the back of beyond, uh, out in the bush, but there were still some some challenges like the regular power cuts, um, having to walk over to the <laughs> to the circuit board and and flip that on. Uh, I mean, you can pay a lot of money to get sixteen amps electricity, but then your neighbours look at you and they ask you, how many amps do you pay for? You know, and it's just like you're not living amongst them mm. if, if you live at a, a completely different level than yeah. than they are. So we decided to you know get the four amps and mm. just just accept that and then the the health healthcare you know there were uh, half decent there are half decent hospitals with with some equipment but still not great levels of healthcare and you really fear your your child having to be driven off to accident and emergency mm. um and so there's that kind of risk that you're that you're embracing that you're you're taking those were some frustrations my my wife worked in accident and emergency in the UK as a nurse she mm. was very aware of how critical it can be and knew mm. that it was going to be risky if mm-hmm. you know you're involved in a car accident or something like that. Yeah, because sometimes you know we take for granted in in our countries that the speed of an ambulance coming out, or yes. how close a hospital might be, or yeah. the processes, and we yeah. might think, oh gosh, you know our systems here aren't great yeah. and they're struggling and sure. creaking at the seams. But in a place like yeah. you were in, it was probably ten times more difficult. Yeah, I, I mean, the, you know, the, we we were in one healthcare center in a critical. Um, case for a neighbor and there was a defibrillator but it didn't work that's the kind of thing that is yeah uh, is frustrating and very sad yeah um, maintenance processes things yeah, like that. yeah yeah and and i think you know other frustrations it was as i said a day of small things so you have to be content with persevering and enduring mm-hmm. um trusting god to to work in his own time mm-hmm. and you know i think there there is a tendency for some short-termers to come out and and even long-termers that they they want to do great things, 
And yet there's little willingness to live amongst the local people, the hard work and the commitment of learning the language and adapting to the culture, mm. particularly how women dress mm -hmm. would, be, would be an issue. I, I think you, you have to be committed to just faithfully living amongst people mm. for the long haul. Yeah. I mean, was there a sense of loneliness for your family in terms of not many other folks from your country living out there that you could really gel with or be on team with? There were quite a few workers, actually, mm. yeah, who shared uh, our gospel hope. Um, so it wasn't as lonely as it would be in other contexts. Mm -hmm. yeah. So we thank God for the, for the fellow workers. Yeah, um, God's we could, team. Yeah, we could list, you know, like Paul reels off all those people in the yeah. city he's never been to in Romans 16. You know, we thank God for all of those fellow workers that mm. we enjoyed fellowship with. Yeah, that was great. So any particular stories of, I don't know, things that were hard, um, incidents where... Folks back at home might have thought, oh, you're crazy living out there. What, what are you doing? Or, yeah, just maybe dangers. You I mean, in 2014, we had a furlough back in the UK. Um, and at that stage, ISIS were in control of, um, of Mosul and uh, were looking very menacing. And so we, we took a little bit longer out in the UK and we assessed, you know, what's the, the risk of going back? And, you know, I remember just... Um, Someone saying, you know, I'm just worried about seeing you in a jumpsuit on TV, you know. Mm. So we, we did have to consider the cost, you know. And in, in Acts 21, I think it is, Paul is heading to Jerusalem. And people are saying, don't go, don't go. Mm. And he says, why are you weeping and breaking my heart? I'm ready not only to be bound for the Lord Jesus, but to die for him. Yeah. And that was a, a great lesson for me. And, you know, God protected us. We, we, we didn't see those kind of dangers personally, but we always knew that we had to count the cost. Mm. Was that a process, do you think, just in your own discipleship back in the UK that helped you get to a point of, we're willing to go, and, and if it doesn't work out, if we lose our lives, he's worth it? Yeah, I mean, I think learning from the lives of the heroes of the faith who, mm. who lost their lives. I mean, Henry Martin wasn't martyred, but he did um, lose his life through ill health, uh, traveling, and uh, just, yeah, just ta taking on board when Jesus says, if anyone wants to come after me, he must mm. take up his cross and deny himself and follow me. Mm -hmm. And and also Romans 8, that you know we, we have to be willing to share with him in his sufferings yeah. uh, in order that we will share with him in his glory. And it, it mm. feels like we can airbrush that out of our Bibles. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah, um, we all want the, uh, if God is for us, who can be against us? Yeah, but, but almost the next verse, I indeed. think it is, talks about the suffering, yeah. isn't it? And it's yeah. so important. Unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it will abide alone. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so if we're all, we're all about fruit, we want to see fruit. We want to see many coming to Jesus, but there is a cost yeah. uh, for us, for them, and so on. It is, yeah, the kingdom of God is is full of hardships, even though Jesus is with us. Yes. Maybe I can share a very hair-raising moment was when mm. uh, I was exploring the mountain just to the south of Tehuk, and up there there is this uh, carving on the rock face um, uh, in the time of probably King Sennacherib. Um, it's called the Halamata Cave. We put it on Wikipedia, actually, just so people can kind of find some basic facts about mm. this amazing ancient carving. Um, we went up there a bit late in the evening, and when it was dark by the time we came down with our, you know, with our phones as torches, we got down to the village at the bottom, and out popped from the bushes this troop of armed men and told us mm. to hit the deck. And things were racing through my mind at that point, you know, is this, uh, is this curtain mm. for me, you know? And they questioned us, what on earth were you doing on the mountain there? And they were very suspicious. That was the mountain where if you were an Arab insurgent, you would have come over the mountain, perhaps at night, to mm. come and wreak havoc into Hook. 
Right. And we said, look, we were just exploring the Assyrian carvings up there on the mountainside. Mm. And they kind of, sort of pull the other one. You know, what were you really up to? And yeah. we said, no, no, we're really very interested in Assyriology. And <laughs> they weren't so sure. But they could see that uh, two of us are Westerners with one Kurdish guy. Mm. Uh, and we kind of managed to persuade them. And they said, look, we've had a hundred calls from this village. And uh, so we've come out to check what's going on. Right. Um, and well, the this, villagers are calling, saying we've seen people. Yeah, we've seen there. people. We see lights. Village. Yeah, we see we see yeah. lights. Yeah. Um, this was in about 2011, mm. and this was a, a regular threat and a concern mm. for security. But um, I, I respected them, the authorities that God had put in place. They said yeah. we are all Asaish, which means we are all security. We're all on the watch against um, terrorists. Interesting. And so you know, you might be be stirred up to have this kind of. Um, suspicion of authorities in the Middle East, let's say. Mm. But actually, Paul assumes in Romans 13 that the authorities are God's servants, mm -hmm. whether they're Buddhist, secular, you know, yep. Muslim, uh, whatever so, regime you live under, which is why I, I have big questions about this whole Western regime change, because mm. they don't seem to understand the scriptures that are, have been so foundational, that generally speaking, mm -hmm. authorities are there doing good. They are servants of God. Mm. That seems to have been misunderstood yeah. by many Western people let alone the power vacuums <laughs> that results yeah. from regime yeah well it's it's, it's, yeah. it's just chaos isn't it when you remove yeah. the whole infrastructure mm. and you're left with something even yeah. worse i heard when you know the western armies went in and deposed saddam hussein they basically disbanded the iraqi yeah. army and so all these guys who had their own weapons mm. just went home and had no job yeah. so it sort of left a power vacuum that yeah. isis then came in and filled and said we, yeah. we can use you guys we've got yeah. battles you can fight and we'll sure. pay you and so sure. on. so yeah super dangerous so just going back to some of the inspiration that you mentioned just now, Henry Martin and, and others who've gone before who were willing to lay down their lives, mm. tell us something about Roger Cumberland, because I know that's someone that you've yeah. been researching and learning about. Sure. Well, I'll tell you, Matt, where I first heard his name. Mm. I was telling the good news to some Kurdish guys at a kebab restaurant in Cowley in Oxford. Mm. And some of them were you know, willing to listen. But there was an Iraqi Kurd who was very hostile to me. And he looked at me, you know, I can picture him there with the big blade that you cut the shawarma with, you know, mm. and, he, and he looked at me and he said, remember Cumberland. Mm. I thought, what's he saying? And I Googled it, didn't find anything. And then later I found Bob Blinko's book about the history of the mission in Kurdistan. Mm -hmm. And Bob has sort of 16 pages about Roger Cumberland. So I read it and I finally understood why that guy was being so threatening to me, issuing this warning to me. And Roger Cumberland, in 1923, he... He moved out to Iraq to serve the Kurdish people. Hmm. As a, as from, a, so from, from California. Oh, from California. Yeah. Okay. Um, as, a, as a herald of the good news to the Kurdish people. And he was sort of based in Mosul, but he very quickly moved out to the mountains and explored the mountains at, at considerable risk to himself. Hmm. And was just a man with a, a great heart for the Kurdish people, a deep respect for them. He labored hard in pretty primitive conditions to learn the Kurdish hmm. language. And he labored amongst them for 12 years. And then in, in 1938, he was at a, a conference of the Near Eastern Christian Council in Beirut, and he was pondering the very difficult times they were in as a family. A couple of people had come to faith in Christ, and there was mounting opposition in the city. He was not allowed to go out to the mountains, to the villages, and people who uh, visited him were hauled up by the police and threatened. And he says, what, what, what should I do? He wrote to, his, to a, the secretary of his organization in America. And he wrote a very famous letter a month before he died. And he said, the promises of God are to those who endure, and I'd like to try it. N note that. He, he, he was under no illusions that 
he couldn't do the grand stuff he'd like to do mm. out in the, the villages on horseback. He could just endure through this season of great opposition. Mm-hmm. And he, he wrote, the promises of God are to those who endure. I do not think there is much danger to me personally and less to my family. But even if there were, that would be no reason for leaving. Ever since the world began, people have been called cowards if they did not risk everything for tribe and nation. And today, how many thousands are daily in danger just as a simple matter of duty without any heroics about it? The church might make more progress if it would get the same attitude. Hmm. So he's talking about nationalism and war and fighting fighting for your country. I mean, he, he lived... Into war, you know, yeah, he, he 1938, was, just he, before. he nearly went to the First World, World War. War he, he knew all of this was, yeah. but many Middle Easterners as well, very much, you know, mm. well, I'm prepared to die for my tribe. Exactly. And he saw the church fallen into great cowardice. In fact, 1938, think of the church in Germany. What were they doing? Mm-hmm. Swastikas in the churches because mm. they wouldn't stand up to Hitler. Right? Right. Cowardice. Yeah. It's clear as I've researched his life that his organization agreed with him. He should go back. He wasn't just being a daredevil. He resolved to go back with his family. And a month later, two men came to his house. They were welcomed according to custom. He gave the visitors a a fruit drink in high summer and they chatted and and didn't get around to the reason for their visit. And he he thought, maybe they're going to stick me for a loan, you know, because people have often asked him for money. Mm -hmm. And one of them asked him for some Christian literature. Roger, in his upstairs room there in the center of Tehuk, turned around, reached for some Christian literature and Salim pulled out a gun and shot him. Mm. He, He lived for another 10 hours. He was in great pain. Uh, but he lay there and was able to tell his wife and others what had happened. Um, just an amazing hero of the faith. Um, and his story, it hasn't been much told, mm. but yet he's, he remains unforgotten by the people of Tehuk. Some It's true, some think that he, he got what he deserved. Mm-hmm. He was leading people to Jesus Christ, mm. and, and he paid the price for that. But many others admire him greatly. Mm. Uh, I mean, when I was there, I saw this coffee shop set up in the center of Tehuk called Coffee Shop Kambala. Hmm. That, that's how his name is pronounced. Yeah. But I went in there and I, I said, uh, you know, it was a sort of folklore cafe and they had hmm. photos in, in the cafe. And then I saw a photo of Salim Mustafa, the killer. Wow. Oh, I said, you've got a photo of Salim Musti, but there's no photo of Roger Cumberland. And he said, oh, well, we don't have a photo of Cumberland. <laughs> hmm. And so he was this revered figure in a sense, you know, it was the biggest news story for, for decades, I think, mm. you know, that this American had been, had been shot dead in his own home. And I just, yeah, I just want to tell his story because mm. it, it's, it's a, a very moving story of how he used his, uh, his agricultural know-how from, mm. uh, from arid California. You, know, you, you control the water source, you can become very wealthy with uh, growing oranges. Mm-hmm. And he took this to the people of Kurdistan. He bought a spring. He said, look, stop drinking from this filthy stream running through the, the town Let, let's pipe water people say you can't get the, the water to run uphill and he he said just just watch we'll try this mm-hmm. and he laid four thousand foot of uh, of inch pipe and brought fresh water into the town and that that's how he's known and, wow. and respected by those who think mm. he was doing something wrong in his evangelism um so a gr- greatly respected figure and his house mm. which has lain somewhat in ruins th- there's moves to to restore his house and and make it a centerpiece of the historic quarter of the city. And his family have asked their house be turned into a a center for peace and reconciliation. And Mm. that's a wonderful story. There's Mm. no triumphalism in this because Mm. for 60 years, I mean, it took 60 years before Bob Blinko wrote those very important 16 pages about his life. Um, But not many people have come across Bob's book, but Mm -mm. 
beyond that, there's a whole story to be told, which I've loved researching. It's been a profound inspiration to me. Mm. Well, well, Jay, I mean, that's something, you know, when you've perhaps when you penned your book or another (laughs) time, we could definitely do a whole episode about him um, because these are heroes of the faith and and we do learn a lot from them and take a lot of inspiration um, from the other history of the church, whether it's the emerging church in a place like Iran. And we pray that the same will happen in Kurdistan one day. Yeah. Um, or whether it's from individuals who've gone crossing cultures, crossing barriers of language and, and yeah, geographical barriers to take the good news of Jesus. That's our dream. And we pray that many, many more will perhaps just by listening to this podcast, get an interest in that part of the world and maybe go yeah. out and work with Syrian Kurds or yeah, Ir- Iranian or Iraqi Kurds. Yeah. That, that would be amazing. What, what can you leave us with? Any scriptures, any encouragements about, um, yeah, opportunities out there. We've mentioned it a little bit already. But yeah, what can you leave us with? Your local barber, Matt. Yes. Got to mention this. The UK context. Okay, so read the Acts of the Apostles. What does Paul do? Goes to a city, first place to go to, the synagogue. Mm. A sizable city. There'll be a, a synagogue where I can have conversations about the scriptures, point mm. to Jesus as the Messiah. I, any British town, you're likely to find a Kurdish barber. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> and you've got a a captive audience for for mm. 25 minutes and you know be quick to listen slow to speak you know rather than just sort of like i've got a prepackaged way to tell you the good news of jesus mm. ask good questions say you know so do you speak kurmanji or sarani oh wow you you know about that dialect you know yeah. um this kind of thing they'll be really honored um that you yeah you know something of their of their story mm. um and and i often turn to i've mentioned you know jesus the good shepherd but also psalm 146 and just to say, I've got a poem that means a lot to me. I'd love to read it with you. You know, mm. maybe in English, maybe Kurdish, Turkish, Arabic, depends what. Mm. I the, guess the, you could pull up the Bible app and find yeah, Kurdish, yeah, find yeah. their language. Yeah, you, in Sarani, you'd be able to press play. And you'd, if they can't read very well, you'd yeah. be, able to, be able to play it. But, you know, literacy rights, rates are fairly high. Um, but Psalm 146, do not put your trust in princes, in mortal men who cannot save. Mm. And that's the story of, you know, when we, when we were there, there was a referendum, so-called Crexit referendum, where the Kurds voted overwhelmingly to secede from Iraq. Mm. Baghdad and Ankara said, no way, Jose. Mm-mm. And that was dashed hopes for, mm. for the Kurdish people. You know, that the hope of independence mm. has really has really waned since then. Yeah. Um, and if you read The Economist talking about the Kurdish situation quite recently, it's politically, it's not looking great. Mm. But I think there have been huge encouragements in terms of Kurds developing as a nation. Whether or not they're a a state recognized as such, they are a nation. You know what guarantees the future of the Kurdish people? It's the blood of Jesus the Messiah. Because he shed his blood for people of all nations and languages Mm. to make them a kingdom and priests Mm. to serve our God. I often come back to Revelation chapter 5. That to me is my hope for the Kurdish people. Right. So they catch a different vision, really, of the kingdom of God. Well, it's a subversive fulfillment because I'm not an individualist, like as in, oh, nationality doesn't matter. No, Mm. nationhood does matter, but it doesn't tend to be fulfilled by the program of the official representatives of the nation. Often it's the grassroots renewal of a nation where Mm. they come to wonder at the things of God, you know, Mm. echoing the day of Pentecost, you know, marveling at the wonders of God in their own tongues. Mm. And this is what can be like yeast amongst the dough 
And I believe that Kurds will be most Kurdish when they become followers of Jesus, not in the westernized kind of, you know, echo chamber of, of, of Western culture, but an authentically Kurdish church where mm. they, they love to sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs in their mother tongue, where they love the stories of Jesus, where they love just pouring over mm. the, uh, the epistles of Paul in, in their own language and their minds are renewed. Yeah. Um, and they can look forward to wh where they have a permanent home. Yeah, permanent absolutely. Life yeah. in Christ yeah. and, and eternity. Sure, yeah. yeah that the, They very much um, are longing for a place. Um, you know, mm. one of the talks I, uh, I'm, I'm giving is called Longing for a Place to Call Home mm. um, and exploring the, the Kurds' great disappointments over the years in their search for statehood mm -hmm. um, and, and seeing that, well, Ultimately, as a Christian, I believe that Jesus has died not just to forgive us sin, our sins, but also to give us a, a place in a, a land of peace and justice. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's so good. And, yeah. and that talks a little bit about the gospel of shame and honor. You know, he, he wants to honor Kurds as Kurds. Absolutely. And they can find their identity as Kurds in the kingdom of God. Yeah. And that's what you're talking about. And that's the gospel of honor restored when we've experience shame from the world around whether it's political yeah. states or governments sure and we've just felt crushed and oppressed actually there is an honoring and a lifting up even if life hasn't changed significantly in the, in the physical the kingdom of god just opens a new door and a yeah. new reality doesn't it yeah so. yeah i mean if you're kurdish and you're listening you might think that you have no political power and yet you, you have a vote right in front of you mm. who are you going to choose which king are you going to choose to mm. serve now you can say Yes for the referendum. You can say yes to King Jesus mm. and see him change your life. He changed my life. That's why for almost a quarter of a century, I've been learning the Kurdish language mm. and giving my life to serving the Kurdish people is because Jesus turned me around from the selfish brat I was as a teenager mm. to someone who begins to think God's thoughts after him. Mm. And that is where the Kurds are not powerless. They, they, they do have a choice. And it, and it, it, it will be risky. It may be very costly. Mm. But I believe that they can be proud of who they are as Kurds. Yeah. Not of the bad stuff, because every culture, every nation has some really ugly yeah. sides to it. Definitely. But they can be proud of the hospitality. They can be proud of mm. many of the proverbs and riddles and sayings of their, of their forebears. They may be an illiterate, but there's a lot of wisdom passed mm. down from generation to generation. And all of that stuff can be purified mm -hmm. and brought into the church yeah. and the, the, the church of Jesus Christ among Kurdish people will be a powerful testimony to all that is good about Kurdish culture. Mm. Well, finish there, Jay. Thank you so much. There's been a great window for us into Kurdish culture and a great opportunity for us to learn about Kurdish people and how we can pray for them. Yeah, may the Lord send many more laborers to the Kurds and bless the emerging Kurdish church um, for whatever background they've come from. But yeah, great privilege to have you with us. Thank you so much, Matt. Really. Bye-bye. Thanks so much for joining us today, guys. For more, check out our website, frontiers.org.uk, our social media platforms, at Frontiers UK, or you can email me personally, matt at frontiers.org.uk. Here's a great quote to end with from C.T. Studd. It is not so much the degree of arts that is needed, but that of hearts, loyal and true, that love not their lives to the death, Large and loving hearts which seek to save the lost multitudes rather than guard the 99 well-fed sheep in the British pen. Have a great week and make sure you don't miss our next episode.